Thank you for joining us for this episode of Journey Now, produced by Journey Church in Brentwood, Tennessee. For more information on Journey Church and our gatherings, visit journeytn.com. Hey everybody, welcome to Journey Now podcast. We have done a bit of a reformat. We have discovered throughout the last four months how amazing a community we have and the great feedback you've given us has encouraged us to kind of combine forces on the personalities we have in the church and some of the people we're learning from. And so what we're going to do is we're going to recapsulate um, the kind of, kind of the five days into kind of one big episode. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the big one. And so we are excited to do this. I am joined today live via Zoom uh, by Tim Timmons. Tim, say hello. What's up, everybody? Yo, yep. yo. Yo, yo. And then by um, by Kevin, hey. yo, yo, Dixon. Yes. yes. And oh, everybody has to have their, their own sound. Their Zara, own sound. Lind. Hello. And then, and then ladies one. and gentlemen, the heavy hitter, the ringer, <laughs> the... Um, the, the $2 bill and a sea of $5 bills. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen. Is that a good thing? It's a <laughs> negative three. Alyssa. You don't need a last name. Alyssa is, although what is it? McNally. McNally. I, I almost called her Alyssa Dixon because that's what she used to be. I mean, I guess she, she It's a is. solid name. Yeah, you can't it take it solid. from me. No. It's Legally, solid. it is McNally. So, so Alyssa, if you ever listened to Mike Mondays, Alyssa was was probably the sparkiest of all spark plugs <laughs> podcast. And so we we wanted her uh, input into this. What we're going to do is we're going to just throw out a topic. Our participants have not heard this topic ahead of time. Um, and we're just going to chew on it a little bit. And then later in this episode, Susie's going to interview somebody because she rocks at doing that. And then who knows? Who knows what other chaos might ensue. So ladies and gentlemen, today our topic, yesterday on my Twitter feed, David French. I uh, love David French. Love David French. He and his wife had been doing some research on a Christian camp called Kennecook. Oh my gosh. Are we going there? I read it yesterday on the plane. (laughs) Yep. So that that was Susie, by the way. This was, yes, that was Susie. Uh, and the story is horrific. It's Awful. a decade old, but his his story really is on how little has been done since um, the the horrible revelations of abuse. I mean, this this article. If you have like, or if you're triggered by this stuff, please do not read this. Hmm. It is it is it is horrific. I don't have words strong enough for it. Um, and, and it's about how the culture kind of enabled this abuse to take place because of the individual uh, who was molesting uh, was so gifted. Mm-hmm. And this seems to be a common thread we see throughout the church. I don't expect we're not going to comment on the individual case here because we're not smart enough. At least Alyssa might be the rest of us. Definitely not. <laughs> and and I still don't know, know what you're talking about. So exactly. <laughs> Well, Kanakuk is one of the largest Christian summer camps, all right? And so there was somebody there who it was discovered had molested boys and sexually assaulted boys for a decade. Yeah, about a decade. Grooming and molesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, horrific. Horrific. Now, the question, though, I want to bring to this is among 
we, and we we're reading, I mean, uh, even this morning, I read about two pastors that have been involved in child pornography. And so we have all of this teaching supposedly on purity culture and sexual holiness. And we have the greatest message about sex, you know, out there. <laughs> Why is it that um, the evangelical tribe is marked by so much sexual sin when we hold sexual teaching be of utmost importance. Why Why the disconnect, you guys? What do you think it is about the way that we've talked about sexuality that has enabled so much of this brokenness to go on right in the midst of the houses we're supposed to keep clean? Well, I'm glad we're starting with a soft topic yeah, and we seriously. didn't just dive into the deep end. Thanks for that, Mike. We really yep. Yep. wanted, wanted to... Mm-hmm. Uh, appreciate your sensitivity to us getting our feet wet. Well, yep. I have a question first off. Do you think that, do you think that that is just for clarity purposes? Do you think that that is more pronounced in the evangelical Christian culture, or do you think the light shines on it more because we're so fundamentally opposed to all that stuff and it, it brings out our hypocrisy? Mm, that's a great question. What do you guys think? That's a good question. I, I mean, would, it's purely speculation. Yes. I mean, that's, yeah, we don't, it's have... all cultural, but I would say that, that it's both and, mm-hmm. but I do think that other parts in our culture have a freedom to um, speak freely and there's less shame in talking about sex and there's less, um, to hide from. Mm -hmm. And so if you already have a culture of hiding from sex and being scared of talking about sex, and it's something that you've been told that is about your body, that is bad your whole life, Mm -hmm. it's going to happen a lot more. Like predators are going to be able to take advantage of kids who have been groomed in that culture so much easier than in a sex positive culture, which the rest of America is starting to come to. America is behind in that opposed to other cultures. But I would say that most people in America are a little bit more sex positive and are given the tools to talk about sex better. Okay. So I think you should define what sex positive is for. That's a new, that's a new term that's being used a lot. And um, I think for some of our listeners that might be new to them. So I think you should define that. I'm woefully ill-equipped to uh, (laughs) define that, but I can do my best. I mean, Sex positive is that like sex is something to be celebrated. It's not something that we have to hide away from or not talk about. Um, It's something that's meant to be explored. That's a part of the human experience and a part of our bodies that we, that we appreciate and that we celebrate. Um, And most of Christianity would probably be the opposite of that. Yeah. And that speaks to the greater uh, ongoing development of American culture away from the Puritan um, right. model that was brought over and, and per, through, through its history, evangelicalism and just Christianity and fundamentalism has permeated the culture in such a way, but mostly in moralistic ways, mm-hmm. not in, um, not in true following Jesus kind of ways. It's we've celebrated moralism or we've celebrated, um, purity for the sake of purity, not for the sake of a relationship with God. So yeah, that's just, where that's where it's gotten skewed. No, it, it just but it's so interesting that um, we spend so much time talking about sexual sin. We spend so spend so much time on abstinence programs and purity culture, 
that our failure in this area, it, it, it has to mean something more than just, hey, we're all broken and sinners, right? What I want to get at is I, th- I, I think we're missing, and I think Alyssa's starting to allude to it, and mm-hmm. you too, Kevin. There's a, there's a way we're talking about this, which not only makes it easier for Christian kids to be the, um, the subject of the abuse, but also to there, there's some sort of weird disconnect where abuse can sort of hide mm-hmm. and be facilitated without being dealt with as ruthlessly maybe right. as it would be in other, other places. So one thing we're saying is that the secrecy, right? We, we Sex is presented, um, at least it was to me. I don't know how it was uh, to you all, but I had a weird talk with a guy who was older than me. He was like a volunteer in the youth program. I was 12 or 13. And he took me through a pamphlet called the biological hand grenade ladder. Mm. Right? Literally, that was an, I'll never forget it. And the, like, and it was a ladder that had, and the rungs represented how far you would go physically. So on the nice. bottom, holding hands. And at the top, it was intercourse, which was a big word, man. <laughs> and then there were things. Of bombs. Like, uh, yes. That's yes, just pet- grenades. That's there a small petting. town in Pennsylvania. There was petting. There was heavy petting. Oh, thank you. And so the guy just went through. <laughs> just the fact that it was called that is yeah. disturbing in exactly. and of itself. I still <laughs> love those. I still use those all the uh, time. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I know. Tim, Tim is the pastor that when you come to church and you tell him that you're engaged. I was like, I introduced him to an engaged couple last oh, week. No. And oh. he goes, oh, so you guys are going to start French kissing. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, Tim. Funny. Yeah, Tim. Tim is sex positive. Remember that is. Yeah, (laughs) sex positive. So so the secrecy and the way we present it, right? And and Kevin, you're hinting at the fact that that the Bible, believe it or not, is sex positive. Yes, but it's never okay. Well, okay. All right, Susie. (laughs) Susie's excited about that. But based on her definition, I feel like God is the most sex positive. Like being ever like that's just the um, title of Susie's next yes. book. <laughs> if you go by what if you if you actually read and engage with the Bible and the heart of God, like based on your definition. Now, I know like some listeners might like add to it or whatever. I don't know. But <laughs> like that is the problem that in and of itself is the problem because God created it. And when he created it, he said, I mean, he used words like or the words were used naked and unashamed. You know, and so so I just feel like that's the issue is that we've create we have we've distorted it. Christianity has distorted the beautiful celebratory amazingness of sex that God created and we've jacked it up. And like if you read that article, that predator, he capitalized on that. Yeah, that's how he groomed his victims is by capitalizing on what they had already been taught. Right. The shame of it. Yes. But yes. But the other thing that's true in Christian culture and it it, it's it comes to light more often than I uh, is that when somebody is gifted and somebody is good at what they do, whether it's speaking or music or whatever it is, and they become Christian celebrity, people look the other way. Um, well, for the, yeah. for the sake of being, um, a part of the either six, I'll just say success of a ministry 
without without holding people accountable to the to the misgivings that red flags show of. And uh, we mm-hmm. saw it with Ravi. Ravi Zacharias is one of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I don't you know he's just there. That list is long, and um, longer and getting longer. And um, which every time it happens, I just I'm like, this is why God doesn't want Christians to be celebrities. <laughs> well, I mean, I feel, I feel like God's also saying, I'm not having it. Right. He's just exposing us. He's mm-hmm. exposing the culture. Yeah, no doubt. Tim, what, what, what were the messages you received growing up about this? Was this part of the, was this, was this a healthy um, presentation to you or was it more of the classic shame and don't talk about it? I think it was more, I mean, I, I never had a, talk with my folks about it you know even i'm I, i'm trying to figure out how much to even share um even just with my kids lately we've been having a lot of conversations and a lot of curiosity and even last night hill and i were hugging one of our kids <laughs> talking about it and the shame is just so there you know they're they're at a, a tutorial that's kind of a christian tutorial and through that even through that lens they're getting the shame you know, we've, we are, we're very sex positive in our house. We talk about that stuff all the time, just trying to make it so normal. Right. Um, because so you guys like have four way. kids. That's obvious. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. we've, we've, yeah. You know, yeah. we've heavy petted many times. <laughs> <laughs> just don't know how to use a condom either that. I don't know. <laughs> actually, that's not true. Oh. That's actually not true. Okay. Anyway. Glad we had this. Chat. <laughs> wow. Speed of sex positive. Yes. Yeah, so it was not. Uh, I was never talked to about it. It was just don't do this. Yeah. And actually it was just don't have sex. It was don't, don't have the actual hand grenade, you know, on Mike's little pamphlet. Yeah. Hand grenades bad, but kind of just, we won't talk about all the other stuff. So it was like, let's do everything else, but that, and that was not helpful at all. So we're we're trying to figure out how do we change that? Not just um, not talk about it, but how do we change that rhetoric in my house? How do we change that hard yeah. and it's it's hard to do. Yeah. Well, I, I find it interesting, even even through a Christian presentation, the shame is there. Mm. Yep. You know? And um can you talk more about that? Yeah, what does that mean? The the normal cr- Christian presentation? Yeah. The There's shame the is there. Even even in a Christian presentation, Mike just said, the shame is there. Um what does that mean? Are you going to tell us more about that, Mike? <laughs> oh, I was, I was, I thought Tim was going to talk about that. I was like, yeah, Tim, tell us. Uh, <laughs> so, so sorry. So sorry. I was like, yeah, I thought that was to Tim. No, I, I find it. I, well, I find that super interesting um, because so a, we don't ever talk about it except to say don't, which is, which is unbelievably tragic. Right. I mean, we're setting people. I mean, I've, I, I sat in a surprising number of counseling appointments where I'm supposedly giving advice and the people have said, no, 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 no. And then they get married and then they can't feel good about their yes uh, mm-hmm. to sex after marriage. Right. And, um, and, and I'm like, oh my goodness. I mean, they were never like the shame issue of it was just never addressed. Mm. No matter how positive you tried to, you know, make a Christian presentation of it. There was still the shame bit. Um, and I wonder if that's because we elevate sexual, sexual and sexual sins far above what scripture does. Um, 
you know, I mean, you, you, you look at where sex is named as sinful and it's next to things like, or extramarital, I guess, sex or non-covenantal sex. And it's around things like slander and uh, maliciousness and being a busybody. And, and I wonder, I wonder if part of that Puritan hangover is we've so mm-hmm. elevated sexuality as the thing, right? So to be, to, so purity culture just elevates virginity, right? Which is horrible. That's a horrible thing to elevate, right? Because that's not even what it means to be pure. You could be a virgin and be impure, and you could be a, not a virgin and be very pure, right? I mean, th- those categories aren't biblical categories. Virginity only mattered in the Bible because of the, the, the purity of ancestral relations, right? We've elevated it to a thing that's just so out of whack and uh, out of proportion with the rest of biblical teaching. So, I, so it just struck me, Tim, that as, you're, as, as your kids are hearing about this from a Christian perspective, there's still shame there. You know what I mean? I find that yeah, it's, it's thick. It's thick. Right. So we've we've just tried to figure out what which part would we actually would we rather them have the other message or this message, and which one are they going to rail against? And was it Madeline Lingle that said we all need something to rail against? Yes. Wow. Uh, and I love I love that quote. I love that idea that there's something. W- which part for our kids are they going to be railing against? And that's actually not a terrible thing in some ways. Is is there then a Christian ethic around Christ, around sex that makes sense that doesn't invoke shame? Ooh, Alyssa. <laughs> Why do I get the hard question? <laughs> That's a great question. That's your dad asking that question, Alyssa. Let's go. <laughs> it, it, isn't there a difference though between shame and conviction? Yes. Sure. There's something there because in some ways, then we go, you know what? It's all great. We're all yeah. great. Everything's great. And that's actually not the message I want to give my kids either. That mm-hmm. it's like, yes, everything's well, sex is great, but yeah, go do whatever you want to do. That's going to be awesome. Well, there is, there's a, there is a, um, Paul says everything is beneficial, but not everything is permissible there. Um, nope. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That uh, I used it the other way when I was raising my kids, but that's a different, <laughs> that's a different conversation. Um, there is this idea that yes, it's not the unpardonable sin. There's there's a um, but I think part of the dilemma, and this is where I think Mike comes into play a lot of times in these conversations, as his style of teaching brings the uh, culture of what was written in 2000 BC and up to 70 BC or whatever, you've got a a list of ancient writings that have such a context around sex that is so different from American culture that, I mean, they got married when they were 13. Yeah. I mean, there wasn't a thing called adolescence. Um, There wasn't this prolonged waiting period between when you became able to have sex. And when you got to have sex, those were, it, it, it wasn't this yep. yeah, that's right. Um, long drawn out, um, painful waiting period. Anyway, yeah. I think I th- that, I think that has something to do with it. Yeah. I think there's, there's just so many layers to sexuality and there's a lot that has to be talked about. It's not just the act of having sex, mm-hmm. like Preach. anybody's like, any human being 
is sexual. I mean, by very nature. And so if you, there's so much here. I mean, we could talk about this all day, but um, how somebody identifies with sex and their sexual experience and teaching kids how to um, love their bodies, appreciate their bodies, listen to their bodies, um, and to like know what feels good and what doesn't feel good and to pay attention to those things and to not have like shame around things that do feel good. That is such a mind. It's like, oh, that feel that is the worst thing that you can do. And you are in trouble for doing right. what feels good. Well, right. that feels confusing. You're telling me that I can't listen to what feels good to my body and that I am sinful and wrong because it feels good. Yeah. Well, that like then you yeah. start to realize that your body is no longer good. Oh, OK. And yeah. I mean, if you talk to some Christians, they do believe your body isn't good and that it's sure. innately sinful and that it will lead you down the path of sinfulness and temptation and that it will lead you to hell. And so then you're telling kids like, don't listen to your body. Don't 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 tune into the cues that like are innate in you. Turn those things off. They're wrong. Listen to the people above you. They'll tell you what's right and what's wrong. And listen to this book that's often misinterpreted. And here are the list of rules that come with that, that are going to tell you what is right and what is wrong. Everything that you feel and experience need to be measured up to that in the people that are interpreting it for you. Everything else is irrelevant. Yes. Yes. I think that's wonderful. And I think there are crazy holes in that as well, because then you go, I look at the guy who, you know, the, the, the perpetrator for this stuff. Sure. And if they had that same message that like, you know what, everything is just listen to your body, buddy. He's like, I did. I totally did. And I nailed it. And what if the other person feels like, yeah, this is right. This feels like a right thing to do. I just go, what, how do we how do we help? There's a balance there. Sure, it's subjective. It. Absolutely. Because it's that can be a dangerous thing too. Cause that with my kids, I go, hey, just listen to your body because it's so great. And I want them to not feel shame when they're feeling this thing that's like, oh my gosh, dude, that's so natural. That's just the right. way it goes. Like, what a gift. This is awesome. But to say, hey man, just keep just let that I totally. That I mean, work. both extremes are bad. Yeah. You know, there has to be some kind of middle ground. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. like, that's where like living in relationship with other people, having other people that speak into your life, like a variety of different kinds of people, not just one person saying all of these things. Yeah. Well, um, do you think that it's a little bit like, like I was having a conversation with somebody, this is just a, I don't know if this is a good example, but I was having a conversation with somebody the other day who is really struggling with their, ang- with, ha- with being angry. They, mm-hmm. they had this overwhelming feeling of anger. And what I was trying to tell them is, well, you have something to be angry about. Like, that's okay. Like, that's a very real emotion that God created. And like, you can, you can have your anger. You can be angry. It's what you do with that, obviously that. So we go down that road with our feelings, like our emotional feelings. Mm -hmm. So do you think it's the same if we were, if we were more, um, if we just told a better story about listening to our bodies, like it's okay that you have these feelings. It's, it's, it's like, you know, like you can have those feelings and sit with those feelings. It's what you, it's how you act in those feelings and what you do with those feelings. Like they are not to master you, but you know, and, and again, like that's really slippery because it's very easy to go into that old shame narrative when you start talking that way. Right. And real quick, just to your point, Tim, like, 
I think this is an important thing to say just for any listener. Like if you have been abused or if you've been in an abusive situation Mm -hmm. in any way, you can't trust your emotions anymore. Like you need to go to therapy to reorient yourself. Like your your emotions are first of all going to be triggered by things that, you know, are going to trigger you around your abuse. Like there's a lot that goes into that narrative and like you can't trust your body anymore because someone has destroyed your relationship with Mm -hmm. your body and with your emotions. And so to your point, absolutely. Like those kids are going to have a lot to undo. And like, there's a lot of science and a lot of therapy that can help them do that. But you're absolutely right. They can no longer trust their emotions and they can't trust their relationship with their body because someone took that from them. Mm -hmm. And so that's just like, to to the feeling of talking about emotions it's like absolutely like that but that can be really messed up but that's because it's been perverted it's not because their body is wrong or because their emotions mm-hmm. are wrong or because they're not they just are going to need um, additional tools to be able to cope with that and yeah. i don't think that christians talk about that enough therapy is extremely necessary in order to have those tools so good boom you know i think i think um or I'm thinking of Psalm 8 where human beings are compared to angels and animals. And so angels, you know, in biblical theology are spiritual beings that have personality, but they're not necessarily physical. Um, Although it seems like they can manifest themselves physically. Um, I want to know why the ladies are checking their phones right now. That's, that's (laughs) what's totally distracting me right now. Um, because no, we kidding. have children. <laughs> oh, oh, and we don't have wives. <laughs> she said it. Topic I did number it. two. Um, Topic number two. Um, <laughs> Can you edit that out? Um. Um. Uh, so, um yeah. Soulmate. So, soulmate. You were on so, soulmate. Oh yeah, soulmate. Okay, yeah. So they're they're soulish. So, I thought you said cellmate. Psalm, I was like, Psalm 8. Oh, Psalm 8. I thought you said cellmate. And I was like, well, okay. Yeah. I mean, marriage can feel like prison sometimes, but, but hey, no. hey, hey, hey. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. So there's a sense in which um, that, that we're created a little lower than the angels. And so there are these spiritual beings, of course, that don't manifest physically, or they can, but they don't, their physicality is not a necessary part of what they are. And then we're high, we're we're called the steward the, over the animals, and the animals, of course, are physical or physical, but they're not soulish, maybe in the same way that humans are. Right. And I always thought that was a great way to talk about sexuality because you know there's a, a part of a Christian part of Christian streams teach us that we're just angels, that the body desires we have are bad and wrong, just in virtue of having them. Um, that sexuality has been the great demon. Uh, that men have used um, to keep women in um, uh, out of church leadership and all of these purity rules about, I mean, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous how, how it's been used as kind of a boogeyman. Um, and, and even in some expressions today, we have this sense of, yeah, yeah your body isn't real. It doesn't matter. Uh, and, it, and like you said, Alyssa, it will just lead you straight to hell. But then we also have this other teaching in our culture, which is just that we're animals. That's all we are. We're just impulses and desires. That's that's all we are. And and the American narrative is that fulfillment and happiness come in just saying yes to whatever is in you, without any 
reflection on that, right? Without any critical um, uh, imagining that life could be different. And so our desires in the American story are our destiny. And the biblical narrative counters both, Mm -hmm. right? We're this spiritual, physical hybrid where, yes, we are animals. There there is uh, a very deep and real um, connection to our bodies in sexual terms that is ultimately a gift. But we're also not animals, right? There's a sense in which we're not just, our desires aren't our destiny. Um, and that we're able to, to operate at a level where uh, self-control um, or uh, whether, and that's, and that can be in anything. I think Tim, you mentioned food or yeah, alcohol, a, or, I mean, it's not just sexuality. It's a question of appetites. It's a question right. of, of allowing our appetites to govern us. Yes. Yes. And, and ultimately, are there ways to teach people to do that, uh, that make them feel shame about having those appetites? Yes. And we specialize in those. Yeah. And, and we've done that. That, that, is, that is what we are now railing against. And I guess yes. my, my, uh, my hope is that we don't now rail against this thing that was way over here and go all the way over here right. where totally. the swing is just as dangerous and I think what you're saying, Mike, is, is, you know, biblically we have the heart of God is right in the middle here. Yeah. What you're saying? Yeah, yeah. That, that our bodies are real. We honor them. We, um, we are thankful for sex and all of sexual feelings and arousal and all of it. We're, we, even a single, single people, right? We're still sexual as Alyssa would say. I mean, we're always sexual beings. Mm-hmm. Um, and the act of sex is so much bigger than just intercourse and purity is so much bigger than just virginity. And, um, and, and walking with God is so much bigger than whether or not you masturbated that day. I mean, this is like, we've elevated this so disproportionately, um, above what the biblical witness is that it's absurd. Uh, and so we're, we're just, we're just creating people who, um, either show no marked difference between what their practices and what the practices of people who aren't followers of Jesus, or, and this is the scary part, we're creating abusers and abusees, right? And victims, uh, potential victims, because we're just not equipping people at all to handle, um, to handle this. And so, so I think we'll wrap it kind of there. I, I, I wanted you to get just a bit of reflection on, you know, we, we're all people who, even, even though we work in a church, uh, we're all just trying to figure this out too. And we're, we're seeing things happen in the world that we think the church needs to at least acknowledge. Mm-hmm. So the goal isn't great answers, right? We're not know-it-alls. We don't have it all figured out. But we want to create a church community where these things are talked about and discussed and, the, and truth is valued particularly in, in light where there has been sin, where there has been darkness and secrecy. But also we want to value the people who are just in process on all of this to say, man, you are welcome here. And part of the reason we do the podcast with, the way that we do is just to give people room because you hear it with us, right? We're all coming at this from very different perspectives. And I, that is the beauty um, of, of what it is to be a part of a community like this. So friends, this is awesome. We're going to turn it over to Susie now and uh, enjoy the rest of the episode. Susie Lind here. I hope you are enjoying the new format for the Journey Now podcast. I know you're going to love this next segment. 
I recently got to sit down with Sam Schomburg, who's a partner at Journey Church, and I got to know her a little bit better by hearing her story, her heart to serve, and how she got involved in foster care through Davidson County. If you have any questions about foster care or serving, or if you want to connect with Sam, go ahead and send me an email at suzie, S-U-Z-I-E, at journeytn.com, and I would love to connect you. Have a great day wherever you are. Okay, I'm here with Samantha Schomburg. Do you like to go by Sam or Samantha? Because I Sam. Sam. Definitely Sam. I went through a phase where uh, everyone thought I was a guy at my job because so much of my job was email. Yeah. Um, and I, I had to switch to Samantha so that people would know I was female. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> I ended up switching back being like, no, I've been Sam my whole life. Why am I changing it now? So yes, yeah, Sam, but Samantha, you're right, is in the vernacular. <laughs> oh, okay. That's awesome. So Sam and I have been talking about this past year and if you could see her face, she is glowing. Her countenance is so good. And she just told me all the positive, amazing things that have happened in this last year as she launched a new company with some friends after getting laid off from her job in the music industry. And so you're an agent and you represent about 25 artists on your roster with your company, right? All Christian music. That mm-hmm. is awesome. And so tell me a little bit about like your, your faith inheritance. Like where did you grow up? What kind of family system did you grow up in? And, and what was, what was Jesus like for you as you were growing up? Yeah. Um, I was not raised in the church. I did not go to church as a kid. I didn't, you know, learn a lot of the things that people now have to deconstruct as adults and be like, oh, maybe that was harmful. Maybe that was Okay, don't great. you feel lucky sometimes when you I feel lucky all the time. <laughs> I know. I think God knows exactly who I am and mm-hmm. he knew that I would not have done well um with being told things are absolute truths as a little kid. I think I would have yeah. rejected it then and probably still rejected it. Um and instead he gave me, you know, an upbringing that had nothing to do with church really. Um Outside of one guy my mom dated who's very religious, and I think we went to church every Sunday for a few years, but it wasn't like a, let's talk about the sermon afterwards and let's learn about, you know, what Jesus is doing in our lives. It was a, no, 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 you have to go to church or you're going to hell kind of a situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so single mom, four kids, um, raising us all. Wow. And I mean, it was... It was rough on her, I'm sure. Like, I look back now and I'm like, how are you not in trauma? Like, that entire, you know, 25-year mm-hmm. period. Where are you uh, in the lineup of the four kids? I'm second. I'm second. Okay. So, my mm-hmm. brother's a year older. Okay. Um, and we're full siblings. And then I have two half-siblings who are full siblings, um, Mark and Star, who are both in college right now. So, they're out of the house. But my mom just became an empty nester maybe a year and a half, two years ago. <laughs> So it's a very, very long, long period for her uh, to have to do it alone with really no support system. Most of her family passed away when I was a little kid. So there was really no like grandparents on her side Mm. and uncles weren't really around. I have one aunt, but she mostly lives in Florida. Um, So very like I think so much of church is, you know, the family experience, family expectations, getting together uh, Christmas and Easter, right, for, you know, the big meal and the celebration, we didn't do any of that. I mean, we just kind of lived our life outside of that. Um, and then I around probably late middle school, um, 
discovered, discovered, I say I discovered it. I don't really remember how this happened. Yeah. Um, But when I tell people now who know me really well, they're like, that is very on brand. Like that makes sense that this is how it went down for you. Mm -hmm. Um, I realized that you can just show up at churches and they like, can't send you away. Like, (laughs) (laughs) like, so I think I became a member of maybe eight or nine youth groups, like across all denominations, across the entire city I grew up in, in Wisconsin. Like I just wanted to be, I didn't want to be at home. I hated being at home. I was so bored at home. I didn't get along with my siblings all the time. Um, so like I was the kid who was in every single sport and every single extracurricular just cause like I liked going to school and then having three hours of things to do mm-hmm. and then getting home at nine o'clock on the city bus and like starting again the next day. And that's, that's awesome. kind of how I thrived. Um, and I realized that church could be a part of that because it's like, Oh, you mean like I can be meeting so many new people from different school districts, from private schools. I got really into a homeschool group. Uh, for a few years, having never been homeschooled myself, <laughs> like, I just kind of enjoyed inserting myself into different communities. I love and, that. Um, and that, I mean, that's how I learned about God, right? Like I learned yeah. it from, you know, the the Catholic youth group. I learned it from the Methodist youth group from, you know, hopping. Uh, I used to write to summer camps in the summer and be like, Hey, I can't afford to come. Can I be a scholarship kid? And then I'd get approved for that. And then I'd go to my mom and be like, Hey, I found a ride to this camp. Is it okay if I come back in a week? And, That's amazing. Like, and that was kind of how I did it was just like, I like being around Christians. I like being around other people I've never really been interested in yeah. you know partying or anything like that like it's just not fun for me and mm-hmm. um, I'm also very very nerdy so like the idea that you can go in and just kind of study an ancient text and that can be like a pastime was really fun yeah. for me as a teenager um and then I, yeah I mean Christian music was a huge part of it I just really really adored uh the gospel through songs and I loved concerts and live events so mm-hmm. Um, moving to Nashville and working in Christian music was kind of the only plan that I had. That was, uh, that was it. That was the goal. Um, and I think that was 10 years ago now. So I've been in wow. Nashville and I've pretty much been doing Christian music things that whole 10 years. So that's awesome. Yeah. It okay, all works so, out. So you're, you're very involved in foster care. Yes. So talk about that. How did you get involved in foster care and what are you, what, like, what exactly are you doing? What have you done? Like, I I mean, I, I know a little bit and I'm just fascinated by it. So I want to hear the story. Yeah. And I will say just as a disclaimer, like my story with foster care is incredibly atypical. I don't Mm -hmm. think I do what most foster parents do. Mm -hmm. Um, And if anything, I would just love for there to be a million more foster parents and maybe, you know, a hundred thousand of them behave like me and the rest are more traditional. So I'm not really the traditional foster parent. Well, I think you make a really good point, Sam, because there is that scripture in James, right? That says Mm -hmm. true religion is this to look after orphans and widows and their distress. And so I remember, you know, when I first started hearing about foster care and adoption, I was like, terrified because I went to like the ultimate expectation that we're all supposed to adopt kids. Otherwise we're right, not right. Really Christians, but mm-hmm. you make a really excellent point in saying that, I mean, in, without even knowing your whole story yet, that your situation is atypical because that, that scripture and that, that, um, I mean, 
a mandate? Can we, should we, mm-hmm. Do we call it a mandate? Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah. Like it applies to everyone, but there are so many different ways to get involved in caring for widows and orphans and their distress yes. that we all have a place in the on the wall for it, right? Mm-hmm. So I I love that you started out with that. And I I, I really want to I just, that was, that's so important. So carry yeah. on. <laughs> no, no, I'm with you. I'm right there with you. And like, if anything, I think I'm, I mean, start base level. I'm single, mm-hmm. uh, never been married. And like that alone provides me with this really incredible opportunity um, to pour into teenage girls with sexual abuse in their past. Right. Uh, so they come yeah. to a home where there's no man there is like, so even though like you you hear ideal family is, you know, husband yeah. and wife raising kids together, but like, it's been a real blessing that I'm able to give back to these kids without being married to anyone, you know? So it's, I see all these silver linings all the time of like, you know, if I was even a little bit different, this kind of wouldn't work as well. Yeah. Um, so anyways, I started, uh, this, this is weird the whole way through, but again, very on brand with my personality. If anyone knows me well, mm-hmm. um, I was 22 years old and I, just kind of heard online that you can become a foster parent once you turn 21. And I was wow. just like, Oh, well then I should do that. Right. And I immediately <laughs> signed up. So it was, it was a complete impulsive decision. I'm an incredibly impulsive person. Uh, it usually works out for me. It often does not work out for me when I'm this impulsive. Um, but I knew it was signing up for training. Right. So it was, yeah. I think maybe a six week, two month training classes so you can know uh, what you were getting into, essentially. No, I mean, I walked into the first training class, uh, I think maybe four days after learning that I was legally able to be a foster parent. I never once thought oh, about foster or adoption <laughs> or any of these. I mean, I was 22, right? Like, that's yeah. not really on my mind then. Um, I just know that I, can, I had kind of done things earlier throughout my life, um, mm-hmm. and it wasn't a big deal for me. Um, I started taking college classes when I was 14. I moved to Nashville at 17, knowing zero people here. Um, I moved off campus at 18 and suddenly I had, you know, you know, friends were worrying about homework and I was like, I got to really mow my lawn this weekend and I'm 18 years old, not really doing the normal college thing. Um, And I had started at the company I was up to until last year at the company I worked at CAA. Um, I started working for them when I was 20 years old. So by 22, I had already kind of reached a point where I'm like, I need more. Like I need more than the day job. It wasn't a nine to five. I mean, it was like a nine thirty to seven thirty, eight thirty job. You know, um, or I'd often work till seven and then go to a show to cover a client, get mm-hmm. home around midnight. So it wasn't like I had a ton of free time. I just remember in college, I had really, really loved volunteering with different ministries and nonprofits in the Nashville area. Yeah. Um, and I had tutored a lot of kids after school. I worked really closely with World Relief for a year, um, working with refugees, both, you know, in after school programs or, you know, in little things where I'd be assigned a family who, you know, arrived from Iraq the week before, you know, mm-hmm. zero English. Mm-hmm. And my job was to meet them at their apartment and ride the bus downtown and back with them just so they can get the feel of how a city bus works and all yeah. of these things. Um, and I just really missed that aspect of my life that I, when you're working full time in a really high stress, high hours job, uh, the normal volunteer opportunities just sort of disappear, right? Because mm-hmm, they're at like mm-hmm. four o'clock or, you know, 530 definitely is the latest volunteer shift you yeah. can find or they're on weekdays. They're really catered to a lot of people 
who are retired or want to volunteer with their kids while they're staying at home or things like that. Um, and I just felt like I was missing all of these great relationships um, with communities that I love to serve and they served me. It wasn't a one-way relationship by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, and I heard about fostering and I was like, oh, well, I can't really go to, for example, I had been at Second Harvest Food Bank. I yeah. volunteered there every Tuesday for three years. And suddenly I can't do that anymore with this job. Um, and I was like, I can't do that anymore, but like, I can be on call. <laughs> like if yeah. you need a kid to, with a bed to sleep in at 1am, I can wake up at 1am and give them my bed. Right. Like right. that was a very simple, organic decision for me to be like, oh, well I can give myself 24 hours a day, much easier than I can give myself for a few hours a week in different volunteership yeah. and things like that. Um, so I impulsively signed up for the class. Like I said, I think it was maybe six weeks, two months long at the time. Um, I prayed so much during that six weeks too. And it was like mm-hmm. a very intentional, like, I, I'm not very good at taking things very seriously all the time. I'm not very good at putting pressure on myself all the time when I need it, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did put a lot on me to be like, if this is not right, God, I'm waiting for you to tell me it's not right. Yeah. Like. I'm not going to do this unless I feel like God is alongside it with me. Cause I don't want to screw it up. Right. Like I don't want to mess up these kids is what I was thinking at the time. I don't want to take a yeah. kid and have, you know, a but all the while you're feet, still but. taking steps forward and, yeah. and simultaneously praying for God to yeah, show you his plan for it. Yeah. It's and not like you were sitting around doing nothing. You were right. actually like, taking steps towards something. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And one thing I've seen over and over in my life when it comes to God is that like, he just knows our personalities so well and he knows I'm an an incredibly impulsive person. So like, I think a lot of the greatest things that have happened in my life, the greatest relationships that I have, the greatest adventures I've gone on have all been like, I say yes in the moment (laughs) or I have an idea and I execute it within minutes. It's like God's Uh, up there saying, um, you know what? I'm going to have Sam do this because she won't even think about it. She'll just say, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She'll run it with no information yeah. and she'll be able to handle it. That, like, uh, you know, my other followers, they'll think it through yeah, logically exactly. before they run. Exactly. They'll overthink right. it. Sam's just going to go for it. So we'll yeah, just do yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> and I think like I've just kind of leaned into that aspect of God being in my life, right? Is yeah. that like when I feel these impulse, like, I don't know, these compulsions maybe like Mm -hmm. to just run headfirst into something that looks scary and not think about it. And that's when God shows up almost immediately for me. Right. Um, But how cool, I mean, we're not telling people to be reckless or anything, but how cool cool that you're, you, I mean, I, you know, you said you intentionally prayed throughout, you know, that God would either, you know, open the way or, or yeah. Well, and I think this is, I've I've had only a few friends ask me about fostering afterwards. And this Mm -hmm. is the thing that like, I genuinely believe it helped me in the process. Mm -hmm. And hopefully it helps them is I went in with zero expectations for myself to succeed zero. I knew that if I immediately wanted to quit, if I had, you know, one kid stay with me for one night and I realized this isn't the right fit for me or my Mm -hmm. lifestyle or my home life Mm -hmm. or all these things, like I knew that I was not allowed to feel any sense of shame about that. Like I, Mm -hmm. I let myself immediately off the hook 
um, from day one of being like, man, I went to three classes and I just don't think I can do this anymore. But I mean, I've already gone to three classes, so maybe I should follow through. Like even to this day, like I've kind of reached the point where I'm like, if I stop tomorrow, that's totally fine. And I'm not going to feel bad about it. And I'm not going to, you know, let the shame of quitting something be a reason to not try it in the first place also. Mm -hmm. Um, And part of it too, when you're starting so young at 22 years old in these classes and immediately having a teenage girl put in your house um, after getting approved, like I, I did not have any expectation that I would be doing this for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Like, I don't know what my life would look like at 30 or 40 years old. Um, And that was kind of the motivator for me too, right? Like Mm -hmm. I know that right now I have great friend groups. I have great hobbies and all these things, but I'm unmarried without kids. So like, I don't have a lot of, you know, expectations of people around me that people who have expectations of me uh, on a very time consuming basis. Whereas if I was married at 30 or 40 years old and, you know, had kids or anything like that, it just sounds like it'd be a lot harder to foster kids. So it was, I'm going to do this right now when I'm young, when I'm willing, when I'm able, um, I have a very blessed life. So like I already had a guest bedroom, um, with two beds in it. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. like I, I, before I had ever even considered this, I had for years had a guest bedroom with two beds in it for just Mm -hmm. like family and friends visiting. Mm -hmm. Um, so I felt like I just already had an abundance to give back. Uh, and I'm really, really big on when, when, you know, God has blessed you in certain ways, like that's not yours. That's not for you. I love my house. I love the freedom here. I've been in this house for 10 years now. Um, and it's absolutely not mine. And like, even a few months ago, having everything I own stolen out of it, yeah. like it was a, not a huge deal uh, because everything that was taken was never really mine. You know, like right. these are so for, for, listeners, for listeners who don't know the story, Sam was robbed four months ago while she was away in South Carolina. Someone showed up at her door, ripped off her camera and everything else inside her house. <laughs> everything valuable, I'll say. Yeah. Like they ignored certain things. Like they didn't steal any books or DVD, like little things like that. Um, but everything valuable was just kind of gone. And a lot of it was gifts over the years. So it was yeah. like, it's not like I had huge monetary investment in all of it, but, but it they was. they were valuable to you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were things that needed to be replaced, yeah. right? Like I love home improvement. I love building things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I own maybe seven saws, <laughs> like all different saws for different projects. Mm-hmm. And suddenly they're all gone. And like I had, I was in the middle of a project that I still haven't finished. I still have to buy a new saw and like yeah. just the stress of replacing them is real. Um, but again, like not really, like I can survive without seven saws. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I don't know if I actually need those all replaced Yeah, or if those were things that, you know, were four hobbies and four recreation. Like the only thing that I I had a friend who showed up on my front porch the day I got back from South Carolina uh, with a brand new microwave. And I was just like, this is it. I think this this is the only thing that was taken that I genuinely (laughs) wanted replaced today. (laughs) So I had just been thinking, okay, I guess I heat up soup on the stove now, like old version of myself. Um, So outside of a microwave, I mean, nothing they took was something that I actually needed to live with. Um, but anyways, I don't know how we got onto that, so, but probably okay, so, wrapped up my life the last few yeah. months. <laughs> so if you don't mind me asking, how old are you now? Now I'm 27. So okay. I've been doing this for, I think six years now. Okay. It'll, yeah. Maybe, I don't know, whatever. 
a while, a minute. I think I've had maybe 40 girls stay with me. Um, I didn't say this, but I very specifically foster teenage girls. Um, I've had boys stay with me in the past. I've had little kids stay with me in the past, but it's always been for really short-term placements. Like um, when another foster family had a couple deaths in their family a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And during both of those funerals, you know, a few months apart, they, uh, I watched their little kids for them. So it was like a six-year-old and a two-year-old, two brothers, you know, so I've done little things like that, but by and large, it's all girls age 12 through 17 who stay with me. So I was really, I mean, I was really taken aback and, and, and caught on to what you're doing from a Facebook post that you posted. I don't know, a few months ago, I guess, where you talked about, you shared that you are the only home in Davidson County that's open to teenage girls. Yes. That is crazy. Yeah. And that was that day. So the next day it might've changed. Right. But like, yeah, I remember because you posted it on Facebook and people yeah. were like, <laughs> I need to get on the stick. <laughs> well, it was, I had a conversation with my real I, DCS is really great workers. They assign mm-hmm. a caseworker to every child and to every foster parent. So I was talking to my caseworker mm-hmm. who looks out for my best interests and handles placements for me. Um, and is knows all the kids too. So she's got all yeah. the inside details. Mm-hmm. Um, but she had mentioned there was a girl who was staying with me every single night for a week and she was great. And I loved her. And she was like, she was pregnant and maybe 16, like very young, Mm -hmm. uh, trying to get her life in order from the pregnancy had been, uh, I don't even remember where she was before me, but it was, it was a full week of every day. She would get dropped off in the morning or dropped off at night, picked up in the morning while I went to work. Cause it was just a short-term placement. I wasn't full-time watching her. Um, and I remember on the last day of the week, I had to go to Alabama for a work event and talking to the caseworker and being like, okay, so like, what have you guys been doing during the week to find her a new place? Cause I do a lot of short-term while they're looking mm-hmm. for another place for the girls to go. She's like, well, honestly, we finished calling everyone on the call sheet like six days ago. So we're just recalling the same people and like, they're still saying no, but on that day, I mean, there's outside agencies. I do all my fostering straight through DCS. Mm -hmm. Um, There's other ministries like Agape and other things like that, that work with DCS. I don't know about those homes taking teenagers, Mm -hmm. but on that, for that week with this one specific girl, there were no other options for her for Davidson County because every home that was open to teenagers um, already had one with them and was, you know, uncomfortable disrupting them if they had gotten into a really good zone with their son or daughter um, and just didn't want to throw any wrenches into that home dynamic that they were working on, um, which I totally understand. And I don't think they need another placement with them, um, just for this one girl. Um, or they were people who, I mean, I've, I've heard this a lot and it just kind of breaks my heart every time, but like there's certain, foster parents in this area who we think they're in a group together and they talk about this and they create like standards for them. I don't know. I'm not really sure. Um, who have very strict rules about if there's any history of a child running away or any history of marijuana use, they don't want anything to do with them. Which um, that pretty much eliminates, I would think a lot. Everybody. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. kids who are in foster care, I mean, they, they run because they, oh, yeah. I mean, that's a normal thing. Yes. Yeah. They don't feel safe. They don't know what to do. They're in a stranger's home. The stranger has rules that don't make any sense to them. Maybe they're rude. Maybe they're in a house with, you know, Mm -hmm. 15 other kids. Maybe Mm -hmm. they're at a facility uh, and there's fights every day and they just don't want to be around that anymore. Like 
to They're say that those them. girls, because of two checkboxes or one of those two checkboxes on their paperwork, like immediately are not allowed in your house. And there was an extra element through this week where I was just like really overwhelmed with people saying no to her because she's pregnant. They also have a lot of foster parents who will accept teenagers, but not if they're pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, like, in my mind, I'm just like, Mary and Jesus, what are we doing here? Like, yeah. shouldn't that be the one that you immediately say yes to? Because like, this is about to be a single mom who's 15, mm-hmm. 16 years old, some maybe 13 or yeah. 14 years old. And, and, and in my it, mind, it's simple. And I think it's just not that simple to everyone. Well, and that's what it means to be pro-life too, right? Right. Oh, like, yeah. You have a teenage girl who is wanting to, you know, bring the baby to term. Yeah. Right. And this is this is how we be pro-life in yeah. some situations. Yeah. Well, and I even, I mean, I, not to get too far in this hole, but I live on the same street almost as a Planned Parenthood. Uh And it's, I drive by twice a day and there's almost always people outside with signs and pictures of babies. And in my mind, I'm like driving by with a pregnant teenager in my car and wondering like, can you help me? Like, can you, can you help this girl right here? Can you help her baby that's due in a month? Can you help all these people? Or is it more productive for you? Uh, to be visible with pictures of dead babies on signs to people with trauma who might be driving by and seeing those photos and just kind of breaking down. Uh, And those babies, those babies that don't get aborted, they grow mm -hmm. up and they are often, they are oftentimes in foster care. They end up in the system. And, 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 you know, we are, I mean, I'm for sure anti-abortion, but anti-abortion and pro-life have taken on two different meanings. Very different meanings. And yeah, um, yeah I think yeah, that's a, that's a really yeah. profound. Yeah. Well, and I mean, so many of these girls who are getting pregnant at 14, their moms were pregnant with them at 14, yeah. right? Like it's not a new thing. It's they're stuck in this cycle where no one's educating them. No one's teaching them safe sex or anything like this that can actually prevent them from getting pregnant that young. Mm-hmm. And there's a culture where it's just like, that's the norm now is, you know, you've got kids at a young age and like right. you're excited for the baby and you've picked out names for the baby, but like these kids have no idea what it's actually going to be like once the baby's here, mm-hmm. um, which anything, I mean, full circle coming back to fostering, like that's another thing that I absolutely love about working with teenage girls is you get to pour into them in the months before they become mothers, right? Yeah. When they have no support system, they're a ward of the state, they don't know what they're going to do. And suddenly like, I am one-on-one with them. They're in my home. They're, you know, revealing their past to me. They're crying on my kitchen table, like, or, you know, they're getting a night where they don't have to think about it. And we're watching movies together, going shopping or things like that. Well, and how amazing. It's such a gift to be able to pour into them like that. Yeah. And how amazing too, that here you were raised by a single mom. Yes. And like they get to be in your home and you're like, you know what? It's, it, it can be really good, you know? Yes. That's amazing. Yeah. And I I loved my childhood. I don't, I feel like this happens with kids pretty often when, you know, they're raised in difficult circumstances. Like I didn't know I was raised in difficult circumstances until I look back now and I'm like, my dad died of suicide when I was two years old. And my, you know, inside my, just my house of who lives with me, I saw a lot of drug abuse. I saw a lot of alcoholism, um, there was a brief homelessness part. Like I've just, I've seen all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like, 
they, I created coping mechanisms as a teenager for dealing with these things. And I think God was a huge part of that and kind of, you know, caused me to be a level of independent that I think I really enjoy right now. Like I'm grateful that certain circumstances led me to the life I have now, but at the same time, now I'm grateful for all of those negative things because I can relate to these girls. Right. And like, I know exactly what they're going through um, because I was there and I was only there like 15 years ago. It wasn't that long. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's enough of a fresh memory. Um, And I mean, there's something to be said about a lot of the girls who live with me, um, it's they've never seen a single woman live alone, have their own job. Like they know their teachers are women and they know their dad doesn't like their mom has never worked. Right. Like they've right. they've lived at home because um, that's what poverty looks like so often is, you know, it's more beneficial to just stay on benefits um, and live incredibly far below the poverty line. Uh, but there's no jobs for you. There's nothing, there's no childcare for you. There's no, yeah. no support systems for you. Uh, so I just love that I'm able to tell these girls, there was a period while I was working at CAA where girls would get k- picked up in the morning and I started asking DCS to pick them up at my office uh-huh. um, because I would want, like, even if I just have one night with these girls and I can tell them some of my story and they tell me some of theirs, uh, I'd go up to my office before it opened and no one else was there. And I'd give them a tour and I'd be like, this is what a college degree can get you. This is what, you know, your dreams can get you. And like, I'd show them the snack cabinet and they would lose their mind. Oh my gosh. (laughs) The huge marble, you know, boardroom table, all of those things. And we were right downtown. So I'd be like, oh, you want to go on the balcony and look at Broadway? And like, I just loved that putting little seeds, you know, Mm -hmm. um, into their outlook of the world because they may have never known a woman who worked, you know, to support herself, has her own home, um, has a job that they love too, not just something that they go to every day. Um, so uh, yeah, that was kind of a funny little phase where I started having DCS pick them up in my office in the morning. (laughs) That's awesome. Okay. So you've had 40 girls, something like that, maybe more, I don't know. In the span of five years. Yes. What's the average amount of time they stay with you? Uh, a few nights. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I do anywhere from one night up to, I mean, I've had girls for a few months when it's the right situation. Um, but I get, I get a lot of girls who are about to turn 18, which is really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, like I had one girl who was living in a facility for, I think three years. This was recent. This is just a couple of weeks ago. Um, and she was turning 18 and the facility was in Memphis. Her parents were in Nashville. So they were driving her back early mm-hmm. so that when she turned 18, she could already be in Nashville and not yeah. spend like her 18th birthday driving in a car. Mm-hmm. Um, so she got dropped off at my house at like maybe six o'clock at night. And then we met her parents in a Sam's Club parking lot at midnight. <laughs> um, and it was like this beautiful reunion where they've been trying to mend fences for years, but you know, the system kept getting in the way. I think they're immigrants. So it was, there was always a language barrier to understanding mm-hmm. what DCS was requiring of them, all these things. So like this sweet girl, I met her at six o'clock at night. I made her hot chocolate and pizza rolls. Uh, we watched two Harry Potter movies and then I got to bring her to her parents. Right. And that was wow. it. That was the only time I've seen this girl. She was so sweet. She wants to go to MTSU. Like, well, like these little glimpses into their lives is one thing, but like the flip side of that. So a lot of girls I get knowing when their 18th birthday is and they're aging out. I also get a ton of girls who um, come into custody that day. 
right? So sometimes they've been in in the past more often, yeah. it's the very first time interacting with DCS, right? Wow. And there's situations where, you know, if police find drugs in a home, they immediately have to take the kids into custody mm-hmm. with nothing but the clothes on their back, right? Yeah. And like, mm-hmm. it could be at 2am, it could be, you know, they need a eight hour medical evaluation if they haven't, they have no records, they haven't been to school or to the doctor or anything for years. Um, so it's a lot of girls who this is a very, very new, scary, like probably the scariest day of their life so far um, is being taken away from their parents who they love. And suddenly they're in state custody and they don't know what that means. And it's really busy. And they probably met 50 people that day who are either going to be on their team or are doctors or who are, you know, just social workers driving them from place to place. Like, um, and then suddenly they're at my house and they're supposed to feel safe in a bed that, you know, is completely different from what they've experienced their whole life. Um, and oftentimes I'll keep those girls until DCS can find a long-term placement, right? So it might be the next day that they get into a facility or, um, find another family that's open to someone their age, or it might be a week of back and forth so that they, uh, can, you know, find a relative, right? So sometimes it's, we just need a few days or a week or two to find the right relative, do all their background checks for them to live with. Um, but yeah, by and large, very short-term placements, almost exclusively teenage girls. Do you ever have a hard time letting them go? Oh yeah. Very, very often. Yeah. I mean, there's certain kids who it's just like, man, that was fun, but I am like completely depleted by the energy of this kid. Um, like, because teenagers are a lot of fun, but like the, the live wire ones, like I meet I them at their level is kind of how I go. Right. Like, <laughs> so if they're buck wild, like telling stories and joking for, you know, six hours straight and going to bed very late, like I kind of match that level. Wow. And then the next day I'm like, Oh, that was rough. Like I'm not used to being a teenage girl, but I suddenly yeah. became one last night. Um, and then other ones, it's like, no, they just want to kind of watch a movie and go to bed and like have hot food and a warm room to sleep in if they've been sleeping on the floor for a while or all yeah. these things. Um, and there's certain girls that you just so immediately click with too, where it's just like, oh, I was you. <laughs> like she, they look at my wall of books from when I was a high school like girl mm-hmm. uh, and they're like, oh, I've read like four of these. And I'm like, what do you think of them? Like, let's talk, yeah. <laughs> let's talk books. Let's talk movies. Um, I keep, uh, one TV in one of the kids' rooms, uh, and it's broken. So it only plays VHS tapes is how it works. And I still have all the VHS tapes from when I was a kid. Um, so there's this wall of Mary Kate and Ashley and Disney movies and like just, you know, studio rom-coms from the nineties and all these things. Uh, and we'll just talk about movies for hours. And it's always funny to see which ones they pick. Cause you can meet like I mean, I remember one girl who came in being like, you know, you're safe here because like I know the gang that patrols this neighborhood and like they're cool with me. So like as long as I'm here, you're going to be all right, like totally trying to intimidate me into thinking she was in charge. Uh, And then she saw the Mary Kate and Ashley movies and she's like, oh, my gosh, I watched all of these and I haven't seen them in years. Can I watch like three, you know, so like kids, they're still kids like they're so overwhelmingly childish when you break through to them. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just love being a part of that transition of just like, no, you get one night to be a little kid again. Yeah. uh, Get giddy at Mary Kate and Ashley movies and to not pretend that, you know, you're going to protect me from the gangs. Uh, But if I, you know, wrong you in some way, then the gangs, I don't know. That's just one of those funny situations where it's like, 
these kids are so conditioned to have to protect themselves and to have no one on their side and the whole world's out to get them. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you peel back literally one layer of that, they are suddenly a teeny tiny little kid again, Um, which I love. I love when they're vulnerable enough to, you know, or to trust me as so immediately um, that they're willing to let their guard down. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, I want to kind of wrap this up a little bit because I know people might, after listening to your story there, they might be stirred up if they haven't already been stirred up. If someone has it in their heart to, to do something, to get involved in some way in foster care, what are the ways, what, what are the ways you would suggest? Um, well, first of all, anyone can reach out to me. I've kind of reached the point where I really, I used to totally ghost people when they reached out. Cause I was like, I can't handle this right now. I don't really yeah. want to mentor anyone who's considering it. Mm-hmm. And now I'm at the point where it's just like, I really enjoy this. And I think people are missing out on a lot of joy in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, so please reach out to me if you have any questions okay. about what the system looks like, what the process looks like, all of those things. But also, I mean, I, my favorite quote, that's been my favorite quote forever. Um, uh, I think it's Rabindranath Tagore who said, uh, I slept and I dreamt that life was joy. I woke and I saw that life was service. I acted and behold, service is joy. Mm-hmm. And like, that's just been such, I mean, that's my heartbeat. Like that is yeah. who I am at my core is I love to have fun and I love joy and I love excitement. And like, I never have so much fun as when I'm serving others and building communities with people who are nothing like me Mm -hmm. um, and pouring into them and they pour into me. And like, I don't think you need to be a foster parent to find that, but I do think you have to look for it, right? It's not like you stumble Mm -hmm. into ways. Um, If your entire friend group looks and acts just like you, they're the same age, they're the same race, they're the same gender, like go find other people. And the best way that I've had experience with is to, to volunteer places, right? And to meet strangers and to pour. Mm-hmm. I love kids. I adore kids. I love teenagers much more than younger kids. So I spend a lot of time um, with teenagers. I, I still volunteer at Second Harvest a, pretty often because I like moving. Like, I don't really want to talk to strangers at Second Harvest. I like kind of getting in the zone and lifting heavy boxes uh, and getting a workout when I volunteer. Yeah. So like, there's so many different ways to give back And like Nashville is just this amazing volunteer city. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, especially after this past year where you've got, you know, they still need volunteers for helping with the vaccine rollout. They need volunteers from the flood. They need the volunteers from last year's tornado still like, Mm -hmm. or the second Avenue bombing. Like there's just constantly ways to give back in tragedy. Mm -hmm. But like, I would recommend to anyone who feels compelled to like, maybe there's something missing in your life. Maybe there's an aspect of your day-to-day lifestyle that is just like, like you need more than what you already have. That's why I got doing that. It got yeah. started fostering, right? It was, I had a job I loved. I worked really long hours. I loved my home. I loved, I felt financially secure. I felt like my friend group was like really mm-hmm. just completely surrounding me. And like, I didn't feel a need to change at all. And that wore on me, right? Mm-hmm. Like I needed more than what that kind of average American middle-class life looked like. Um, and all this, well, I was pursuing my dream job and a job that like, I fully believe serves the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
what it was for me was let's find places to give back. Let's find communities that I can insert myself into and become part of their family. Right. And it's not really about service then anymore. It's about, no, like I know quite a few families in low income neighborhoods that like I've watched their kids grow up now. Right. Mm -hmm. Just last night, I picked up two kids that I've known since they were homeless uh, seven years ago. They were little, they were so little then. Um, And I picked them up last night and they came over and we watched soul and we ate quesadillas. And it's just like, that's kind of my life now is Mm -hmm. surrounding myself with people who look and act nothing like me. I met them through serving them and it completely changes into something different. Um, And that's the gospel too, right? It's it's getting outside of your insular bubble uh, that makes you feel safe and protected and finding the actual joy in life comes from everything you haven't experienced yet. And all the things that like, if you actually look for them, they're right there. It's not that hard to find kids who love quesadillas and Pixar movies. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what I would say. Like, I think fostering is a lot. Uh, it's a messy system. It's hard. Um, it's worth it for me. It might not be the right situation for every family, Um, but, and there's definitely foster parents who could use your support individually, right? When it's, Mm -hmm. you know, babysitting meals. I have a, I know a foster family that, um, I think they have four kids now all under the age of six, something like that. Um, but they have a friend who, when they started fostering, started doing their laundry every week. They just show up at their house every Tuesday, pick up every load and bring it back, you know, a couple days later. And like that changed their life (laughs) when you've got four kids under the age of six to have someone offering to do your laundry. Like that's service. That's how you help foster parents is, uh, you clean laundry, (laughs) you know? Um, so yeah, I don't know. I think if you look for ways to serve, like they're just sitting there waiting for you Mm -hmm. Um, and it can change your life really, really easily. That's awesome. There's hands-on Nashville is a great resource for, for looking at just like, if I, if you want to do something this week, like that's a great website to go to and, and find different, different opportunities around the city. But yes, Sam, this has been amazing. Like <laughs> you are, you are such an encouragement. Like I, I just feel like I feel so like filled up just being in your I love that. <laughs> over Zoom. I mean, you really are like you really are God on display. I mean, it's just amazing. So thank you. Thank you for what you do for just to make the world better and for the kingdom and listen, everything you just said about me, I would vehemently disagree with because in my mind, it's just like, no, like this is kind of what God does to your life. This is what your life looks like when you are just kind of pursuing Christ, pursuing what, you know, scripture actually says. Um, it, It doesn't, it doesn't make me a good person, right? It makes my life more enriched and fulfilled and so much joy, like just completely full of joy when you're actually pursuing, you know, what Christ tells us to, which is just love your neighbor as yourself uh, and stop kind of closing yourself away. I mean, this is the year where we've all been stuck at home yeah. uh, in our, absolutely in our bubbles now. And like, even in this past year, I feel like I've made some of the best relationships in my life, right. With right. like people I've met for the first time over zoom calls or all these things. Um, and I think that's completely within grasp for every believer to when you are pursuing Christ in that way, uh, when you're willing to meet people outside of your comfort zone, like it's not about you anymore. Like I, I cannot stand when people call foster parents superheroes or like anything yeah. like that. Cause it's just like, 
no, like, and if you're calling me that and I decide to quit tomorrow, am I no longer a superhero, right? Like it's, I don't want those expectations to be built up of you're doing this because you're a good person or because um, you're some sort of, I don't know, you've got more skills or qualities or a kinder heart than everyone. I don't, I'm, listen, I score very, very low on the number two on the Enneagram, which I believe is the helper. (laughs) That is my lowest score. I do not relate to anything that helpers are good at. And I'm still able to, you know, find ways to give back and build community without having That's any awesome. sort of sense of hospitality or anything like that. So, yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you. Thank you for mm-hmm. sharing your story with us. Thank you for, for being with us on the podcast today. And I just know that people who are listening to this are going to be totally spurred on to love and good deeds. Thank so, you, Susie. I appreciate it. Thanks. If you enjoyed today's episode, we would love it if you would share a screenshot of this episode to your Instagram story and tag us at journey underscore TN. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting app.